Well, it is good to be here. Thank you so much for joining with us. For those of you who might not know me, my name is Jonathan, and I have the privilege of uh, being able to carry on our, our Christmas Advent series uh, here, looking at some of the names given to Jesus from the book of Isaiah. Uh, I, I am excited. We're going to be looking at the third of these names, uh, Everlasting Father. So as we dive into this topic, let me start by just asking you a question. How would you describe your dad, right? What's the first thing that comes to mind when you think about your dad? You know, maybe he was sort of the, the handyman type, right? No matter what went wrong, no matter what problem came up, he always seemed to have a solution. He had a tool that would fit that job, whatever it was. Maybe your dad was the kind that you could always go to and ask questions, right? It doesn't seem to matter what, what kind of situation you found yourself in. Your dad was someone you could talk to and he'd have advice and, and good wisdom for you. Or maybe when you think of your dad, the first thing that just comes to mind is just some really, really painful jokes, right? And, and him laughing at his own jokes as he makes these terrible, terrible puns. Of course, maybe when you think about your dad, really nothing comes to mind, right? I came across this statistic this week that said something like 20, 25% of people actually grew up with no dad in their life. Maybe you don't have a lot that comes to mind, or, or maybe your dad was around, but, but when you think about him, it's not always a pretty picture. Actually, if you were to describe him, it, it would be a bit of a tough, a tough thing to work through. You know, it almost becomes one of these sort of uh, therapist questions, you know, tell me about your father, right? But the truth is, how we relate to our dads does shape, you know, part of who we are. There's a reason that it's an interesting question, and I think if I were to sit down with each and every one of you and, and ask this question, I'd get a different answer from each and every one of you. It's one of the reasons why it makes a, a text like this, a, a name like this, Everlasting Father, so tricky to talk about, because most of us already begin with a bit of an assumption about how we think about fatherhood and, and what makes it good or, or bad. And so it becomes a bit of a challenge to talk through this when the Bible refers to God as our Father. How do we understand that? But actually, as I think as we work through this and as we see that these are, are names that are given to Jesus, there's some other questions that, that start to creep up. Right? If you've been a Christian for a little while, I hope there's at least one question starting to kind of grow in your mind as, as this title, Everlasting Father, is given to Jesus. We, we start to wonder, well, how exactly does that apply to Jesus, right? Because we, we, we understand what the New Testament says about God, and that is uh, we have a, a triune God. There, there's three persons in one God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all equally fully God, yet distinct from one another. And we know Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, the Son. So is Isaiah getting it wrong here? He, he calls Jesus the, the Son, Father, is he getting his Trinitarian theology all mixed up, or, or is this not talking about Jesus? How, how exactly do we understand this title? And, and while we're at it, why don't we talk about the fact that one who is supposed to be everlasting is going to be born? One who has no beginning is supposed to start, right? I, I don't know how much you know about children, but, but they all have a beginning, <laughs> So how is one who is everlasting going to be born? One who exists before his mother? How does that work out? 
right? This is, this is a bit of a confusing title to be giving to Jesus. And so now that we're all sort of sufficiently confused about what exactly this means, well, we're gonna take a little bit of time and we're gonna walk through this uh, passage together. We're gonna look at this name that is given to Jesus. Because my hope is that this actually isn't going to be a confusing name. My goal is not to have you confused by the end of this. Actually, my my goal is to say we should actually love this name. This is a a name that ought to give us hope and joy. So we're going to take it just each half by itself, looking at our our everlasting God and looking at our our heavenly Father. And I want us to look at it, you know, with with Isaiah in mind and the bigger biblical picture, but then also looking at, well, how does this actually relate to us? What, what difference does this make at Christmas? Does it matter? And I think if we understand this rightly, this leads us to far greater trust and joy. So let's, let's walk through this uh, passage and let's simply just read our text once more. Isaiah chapter nine, verse six. This is what it says. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. All right, if you've been with us for these past couple of weeks, you'll know that this is a a prophecy that the prophet Isaiah gives in Judah to King Ahaz, right? King Ahaz was the king over Judah, and he was a pretty wicked king. He wanted nothing to do with God, but at this particular moment, he was worried. See, he had some enemies, right? The northern kingdom of Israel and Syria, they had teamed up together, and they were coming down, and they were going to wipe them out. And so Isaiah walks into the the throne room of Ahaz and says, well, I actually have good news for you. You're not going to be destroyed. No, instead, God himself, he will save you. Despite the fact that Ahaz was a wicked king, God was going to save his people. And Isaiah said, well, and there's going to be a sign that comes with this salvation. The sign is going to be that a child, a son, will be born. And we talked about a couple weeks ago how there was sort of an immediate fulfillment, but there is a greater one coming. Isaiah has a son, and God does stop Judah from being destroyed, but really that was just, that was the miniature, right? That was the small version of what God was going to do across the world. There was a greater son who was going to come and bring a greater salvation to wicked people all across the world. And see, we, we have the advantage of being able to stay on this side of Christmas, Right? We've seen what Jesus came to do. We've seen his life, his ministry, his death and resurrection. And so we know what the story says. And here's actually where we get ourselves a little bit tripped up. Because we read this passage and we know that it's talking about Jesus. And so we hear Isaiah say he's going to be our everlasting father. And we scratch our heads a little bit. And we wonder why we're getting confused. Well, I think some of the problem is we we skip a little bit too quickly to get to Jesus. And we don't actually pay attention. How does the Bible itself unfold and actually show us the storyline of Scripture? Right? Lots of bad theology starts out with good intentions. We can't just jump over everything the Bible says and get to Jesus. So, So let's take a little bit of time 
Let's actually understand what is Isaiah saying here? What is he promising about this coming child? And how does that relate? So uh, we looked at this last week. Isaiah is promising that this child is going to come And this child is going to have a number of these these names, these titles given to him. And last week we saw that the name was given Mighty God. Isaiah makes it very clear, very explicit who this child is going to be. He is going to be God himself. Not someone sort of like God, God. God himself will be born as a child. And, And almost to sort of underline his point, Isaiah doubles down on the divinity of this child. He says he will be mighty God, everlasting father. Isaiah is pointing out that the child who is coming is in fact going to be God himself, right? Father was another way often used all throughout the Bible to refer to God, right? You can even think of Jesus teaching his disciples to pray. How did they start? Our father, right? Father was a way of referring to God. And so what we actually need to understand here is that Isaiah is not making a a Trinitarian point. He's not saying that the one who is coming is going to be the Father, first person of the Trinity. He's saying the one who is coming is going to be God himself. He's doubling down on the divinity of the one who is coming, and here he's going to emphasize something for us. He's going to point us in the direction, the fact that he is, in fact, eternal. This is our everlasting father, right? In the first title, he's mighty God, sort of focusing more on his power, his authority, his omnipotence. Now he's gonna focus on his eternality, right? Our everlasting God. And you might think to yourself, well, okay, but why does that matter? Why does it matter that, that, that God is eternal? He's been around for a long time. I mean, okay, does that make a difference to us? But actually, already, we've kind of already made a mistake here, haven't we? It's not that God has been around for a long time. Actually, they're saying that God exists outside of time, that God himself created time itself, right? We, we are people who are bound in time. We experience things one after another, right? We can't really see what's going to happen in the future, and we, we forget what's happened in the past pretty quickly, Yet that is not how the Bible talks about God. In fact, he is from everlasting to everlasting. He is always existing before time was created and unto all of eternity, God is uh, outside of time and sees all of these things happen. This is one of those areas where, where God is really not like us at all. In fact, Psalm chapter 90 says this, It says, before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. See, God sees all time as one. Now, just to be clear here, this is not saying that God doesn't understand how time works. It's not as if he's saying to himself, oh, wow, a thousand years went by. I didn't realize that. No, no. What it's saying is God sees all time the same. Whether it's yesterday or tomorrow, God sees it all as present. And you might say, okay, I mean, this is getting just more confusing. How is this good news? Why why are we talking about this? Why are we discussing this? And, And so let me give you here two reasons. Two reasons why this matters incredibly to us. 
Reason number one, why does it matter that God is eternal? It means that the promises of God are never in doubt. See, I don't know about you, but I have definitely at times made promises and then forgotten about them, right? You know, someone loans me, you know, 10 bucks, I forgot my wallet for lunch, and I say to them, oh, I'll pay you back. And a week goes by, and I have completely forgotten about that promise that I've made. I see my same friend again, and I think, oh, no, shoot, yes, oh, I, I got to try and pay you back. I've completely forgotten. It didn't even take that long, right? A week was more than enough for me to forget all about the promise that I made. And, and sometimes, we, we tend to think about God in that same manner, we tend to think about God and we think, well, well, so much time has passed. So much time has passed between when those promises were made and now. It's been 2,000 years. I mean, surely God has forgotten. Maybe he just doesn't care as much anymore. You know, it's, it, maybe it was really meaningful back then, but, but it's been so long, God probably doesn't care. Well, actually, our God is eternal. That's not how God works. God knew how long it was going to be when he made these promises, and he has not forgotten. Right? In fact, his promises are still valid because God sees all time as equal. And so the promises are still good and right. The Bible isn't outdated because the one who spoke these words knew the end from the beginning. Right? Isaiah says this himself. Chapter 46, he says, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. See, God's word is always true because when he spoke it, he knew what was going to happen. God's promises are not hopes and dreams for the future. It's what God himself knows is going to take place. And so when we read the promises of God in the Bible, when we come to his word, we can say it is always for us. It is always for us now. No matter what is going on, God's word is still true. His promises are still for us. Because God is not held back. God is not forgetful of what he has said. There's no season or time where God's promises do not stand. Even now we follow his word as everything around us seems to be changing constantly. Everything is outdated. You read a news article and man, it doesn't take very long before that is already outdated news. That is never the case with God. He has spoken rightly at all times for us, and so we can actually trust his word. We can actually trust his promises to us. So why is it important that God is eternal? Because it means his word is still valid. Second reason, it's because he never is tired or weary. Isaiah makes this point beautifully clear for us. It's one of the most famous passages from the book of Isaiah, chapter 40. I'm sure many of you are, are familiar with it, but listen to, to the basis that Isaiah has for this promise. Isaiah chapter 40, he says, have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God 
the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with the wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. See, it is good news that our God does not grow tired or weary. He is not exhausted at any point. It means at all times he is able to support and build up those who are tired, weak, downcast, and the faint. Hear me, this has been a wearying season. This has been a a tough year for everyone except God. God has not been tired by this year. God has not been wearied by our prayers, by our constant asking for help or need of more strength. God is not tired at all by any of those. He is not affected by the passing of time as though he could become tired. But in fact, from everlasting to everlasting, he is able to support and strengthen his people once again. It's why Peter will tell us in the New Testament, cast your anxieties because he cares for you, because he is always able to lift up the downcast. His promises are never in doubt. His strength is never wearied by the passing of time. The everlasting God is our hope and our strength at all times. This is good news. This is our everlasting God. But see, that isn't where Isaiah ends. In one sense, he really could, and it would be true, and it would be glorious. But Isaiah adds on to this that the everlasting God shall actually come to us that a child was going to be born. Our our God who exists outside of time, who created all things, will actually enter into it. That he will actually enter into his creation. The one who is transcendent above all things shall actually lower himself to become a child born in a manger. See, I think the more and more we realize how how great, how majestic, how glorious God is, the more we come to realize the, the beauty of this season, how much we have to celebrate that God would actually enter into humanity. The one without a beginning would be born. The more we see the heights of his glory, the more we realize the lengths in which he condescended to be with us, and and we have to ask the question more and more, why? why? Why would God do this? Why would God enter into time, into humanity, become tired? Right, you can think of Jesus after a long day of teaching. He's so exhausted, he falls asleep in a boat in the middle of a storm. He was tired. Why did God do this? I think Isaiah begins to give us the second, or gives us the answer to that with the second half of this title. He is our everlasting Father. See, it's not just that God is everlasting, it's that he enters into our world, he enters into our experience, and enters into relationship with us. See, God chooses that word Father for a reason. Father is a a relational word, it is a family word. It's going to define how God will relate to us. And so Isaiah is making the point that this child is going to be divine, this child is going to be everlasting, and yet also, 
he adds to it that this child will be a father. Again, he's not making a Trinitarian point. He's making a relational point. He's telling us how Jesus is going to relate to us. He will be to us a a father, and we shall be his children. Now, I know that that already sounds a little weird, doesn't it? Because we're we're trained to think about the father and the son. And so it's weird to think about Jesus as a a father to us. But but in fact, that, that is what we see here. Jesus, as God himself, is our father. He is our father, and also he actually reveals the father to us. John chapter 14, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. It says, uh, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus is both God and reveals God. Jesus is both a Father and reveals the Father to us. In fact, he is the only one who can reveal the Father to us. And so here's where we're back to where we started. We're talking about fatherhood. What do you think of when you hear that word, father? See, whether you had a a wonderful father or whether you had a horrible father, actually both of them need to be corrected, right? Because the example of fatherhood is not our our earthly parents. As, As great or as terrible as they might have been, if we want to see what our heavenly father is like, we don't start with our earthly parents, we start with Jesus. He is the one who reveals the Father to us. He is the one who shows us what the Father is like. He puts on display the character, the love, and the compassion of God for his children. See, Isaiah was exactly right. He wasn't talking about the Trinity. He was talking about what Jesus would do for us. That is, he would put on display the character of God the Father. So much so that he can even say, John chapter 10, I and the Father are one. In fact, we see Jesus taking on this this fatherhood role with his disciples, don't we? As he calls them, he begins to teach them. He begins to train them, begins to show them and, and lovingly, patiently work with them to help them understand more and more. Gives them opportunities to actually use their gifts and to try things out teaches them, challenges them to continue to grow, even rebukes them when they step out of line. You can think of Peter. He gets a little bit hot-headed, and Jesus actually has to rebuke him. It's actually what a good father does, right? Hebrews will say that's what makes us true, genuine sons of God, because God disciplines those he loves. He doesn't want us to continue in our sin, but actually cause us to grow to be more like him. Isaiah 64, this is exactly what he says. It says, but now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Jesus shapes and molds us so that we grow and glorify him more and more. We see Jesus doing this with his disciples. We see him provide and even protect them. Remember what happens. John chapter 18, the the soldiers have come to arrest Jesus as he is about to go to the cross. Do you remember what Jesus says? He says, take me and let these disciples go. 
right? Jesus sacrifices himself on behalf of his children. It's what a good father does. And ultimately at the cross, we see the greatest demonstration of what our heavenly father is like. Jesus revealed the father to us in his death on our behalf. Even though we were like disobedient children, We had run away, alienated from him, lost, ensnared, and trapped in sin. Though we wanted nothing to do with God and had the weight of wrath against us, Jesus took our place. He took the punishment for our sins, sacrificed himself for us so that all who would believe would have the punishment of their sins dealt with paid for in full. See, that is what fatherhood looks like. It is self-sacrificial love and it's what Jesus does for us. And here we see Jesus is not only the the, the demonstration of, of fatherhood, he is also the one who brings us into relationship with God. Because by his sacrifice, we are actually brought into the family of God. We are restored into a right relationship with him. Our sins are forgiven. If you want to know what kind of father God is, look at Jesus who died to bring us into his family. And see, here's the good news, is that for all who trust in Jesus, you have God as your father. Romans chapter eight says it this way. It says, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Right? For all who trust in Jesus, we are called sons and daughters of God. Adopted into his family and with that come all the privileges of being part of the family of God. Right? If you want to think about it a little bit this way. Think about what would it be like if your dad was the, the, the prime minister of Canada, right? He, he was a big deal. People want his, his opinion. People want his attention all the time. He's busy. He's got lots to do. And, and, and now, I don't know. I've never tried to actually call the prime minister. I don't know what this would be like, but I can imagine that if I wanted to get a hold of the prime minister, it would actually take a lot of work, Right? I am sure I can't just call and his desk phone would ring. I'm sure you would get some sort of office and you'd have to go through them and probably another office and another office and someone whose entire job it is to keep people at bay and, and random people from calling the prime minister. It, it would actually be a lot of work. Now imagine if he was actually your dad. How much work do you think it would be? Well, probably not much. You probably already have his personal cell phone. You could probably walk right into his office and people would simply let you in because you're family. See, in such a greater way, that is what we have. Our dad is not some tiny prime minister of some small country. Our dad is the king of all the universe, the creator of everything. That is the one that we have as a father. There is no barrier between us and God. There's no middleman to go through. In Jesus, we are brought into God's family, adopted in, and the barriers are gone. Fully forgiven for our sins because of what Jesus has, di- has done. And so all you need to do to speak in the throne room of heaven is open your mouth and speak to God. He is listening and he loves you as his child. 
that is the good news, is that in Jesus, we don't have uh, hoops to jump through. For those who trust in Jesus, you have God as your dad. The one who's gonna teach you and guide you, mold you, lead you, protect you, provide for you, who loves you so much, he sent Jesus to die for your sins, that you might be adopted into his family. See, whether you had a great dad or a terrible dad, you have a heavenly father in Jesus Christ who has brought you into his family. This is our God, our everlasting father. And here's where we really need to see both of these put together. See, Isaiah beautifully puts the two titles here together. In one sense, it almost wouldn't be good news if it was just one or the other. If it was just that God is eternal, transcendent, above all things, outside of time, but he didn't actually care for us, it would be of no use to us. If God cared for us deeply, but was constantly being surprised by all the things that that, that popped up, who was constantly tired and exhausted, you know, it might be nice, but it was really short-lived. But actually, Isaiah says, we have an everlasting father. He brings us into relationship with God, not just now, but for all of eternity. See, the good news is that when Jesus died, he did not stay dead because the everlasting God has life eternal. We don't gather around a dead savior. We rejoice that our savior is living now and forevermore, and he has given the promise for all who would trust in him, we will have eternal life with him. See, you know, I I know we we sometimes say the disciples really missed the point of what Jesus was saying, and oftentimes they did, but at least once they really got it right. If you remember the story, there was a number of people who who were leaving Jesus. They were tired of listening to him. They didn't like what he was saying, and so they left. They left him alone. And Jesus looked at his disciples and they said, and he said to them, well, are you going to leave now too? And they responded, Lord, Where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. See, on that point, they got it exactly right. Where else would we go? Jesus is the one who has eternal life, and his promises do not end. For all who would trust in him, there is a promise of eternal life, of forgiveness of our sins, and we are made right, adopted into God's family. See, that is what we have in Jesus Christ. And so how do we respond to this everlasting Father? I mean, our our first response has to be simply to trust him, to learn how how, how to trust Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, for the promise that does not ever end, but also to learn how to trust him each and every day learning how to trust him in in your work, in your family, in your speaking to coworkers, learning how to trust him because his word is true no matter where you go, no matter what is happening, no matter what happened yesterday, today, or tomorrow, the promises of God are true and we trust him. And then I'm gonna say, in that trust would we learn how to rejoice. Would we learn how to rejoice in the one who has loved us, 
the one who has cared for us, sent Jesus to be with us, would we learn how to rejoice in that, knowing that his promises do not end, do not stop, that his love is not ever uh, ending by anything that we can do. Let me read from you from Psalm 103. As we close, this is a Psalm of David. And I'm sure that David was reflecting on, on many of the same things that we have been. He reflects on the everlasting love of God and for those who trust in him. This is what he writes. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him, those who trust him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it's gone. Its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to his children's children. See, God's love for his children finds no end. From eternity past to eternity future, the steadfast love of an everlasting father is the promise for all who would trust in him. So let us rejoice in that. Let us celebrate. Let us take joy in the fact that nothing can take away what God has promised to us. In the midst of a dark Christmas, the love of our everlasting Father is never in doubt. From eternity past to eternity future, we can count on the love of God in Christ Jesus. Let us rejoice. Would you pray with me? Father, what a privilege it is. Lord, that we would be able to call you our Father. That you would listen, that you would hear us, that you would come to us. Father, thank you. Thank you for the miracle, for the gift of Christmas that you entered into our world that we might be made right with you. Father, I pray, would you give us faith to be able to trust Jesus more and more each and every day, not worried by what might come. Father, you hold the future in your hands. So Father, let us trust and obey. Let us rejoice in what you have done in the amazing, steadfast love of God in Christ Jesus. Father, thank you. Thank you, we pray. Amen.